Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw. Steps up. Floats a bomb up the right seam. Looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not gonna catch him he's gonna go the distance touchdown sam darnold dials it up to robbie anderson 92 yards bell into the middle of that line and it's a touchdown big return for crowder 85 yards pass thrown there was contact with a quarterback and it's incomplete they got pressure on Prescott, it was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh! Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I thought it would be fun to bring on two gentlemen who have put together one of the more interesting tournament brackets that I've seen involving the Jets. Now, you know that Joe Caparoso over at TurnOnTheJets.com has done the Kyle Wilson finger wag tournament and there's been the sadness tournament which is who is the most negative or sad Jets fan or Jets pundit and that happens just about every year but this was really interesting because they put together an NCAA tournament style bracket for all the I guess you would say Jetsiest moments in Jets history they're calling it the same old Jets tournament and what this is isn't about the best or the worst it's about what personifies Jets fandom and what personifies the Jets organization in general. Seems especially relevant now because of the recent episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm that dealt with this Jets fan, same old Jets theme. And the thing that I really liked about this tournament, I'm going to bring in the two guys who created it in a second, is that there's some real deep cuts on here and there's a lot of historical stuff that only hardcore Jets fans would know. So I would assume that this took a lot of research as well. So I'm going to bring in the two gentlemen. First of all, Rob Pelaez, who writes for Blank Slate Media, and Joe Barone, who's a PR pro and used to be a PR rep for the NHL. Also, by the way, all three of us, Hofstra graduates, so we've got a Hofstra power hour going on right now. 
Rob, Joe, welcome to the show, guys. Yeah, thank you so much. It's an honor. I'll tell you, I was really impressed because when I started this show back around Memorial Day of 2017, it began as a once a week history show. And so we'd go back in time and we're going to resurrect this series at some point. And talk to players from the past and people that were around to see things firsthand. And then we would go bit by bit through all the happenings of the season and relive it through that person's eyes. So we did things like 1986 with JoJo Townsell, 2008 with Kerry Rhodes, 2009 with Thomas Jones, 1992 with Rob Carpenter. Just all these different years we did careers. We did a look back and a watch along with Marcus Coleman of the Monday Night Miracle. So Jets history has always been a big passion of mine. So when I looked at these things that you listed in the bracket, and not all of them seem to be in the last 10 years or so, I thought it was really unique because I kind of get irritated when people confine their Jets takes to the last decade or the last two decades because there's such a long history with this team and as somebody who's not only been around for a lot of it but also researched some of the parts that I wasn't around for, it almost seems like there's a recency bias, but you guys cut through a lot of that. So, Joe, tell me a little bit about how you came up with the idea with Rob to do this. Yeah, so uh, what actually happened was I was on Twitter just scrolling through one night of the quarantine and uh, I saw Clem from Barstool. He tweeted something out about the uh, the Mets bracket. And I said, wow, you know what? The Mets have so many unbelievable misery moments that I'm, I'm sure that I could do a Jets one. So uh, I actually tweeted it out. You know, I said, like, simply incredible. Should I make a Jets one? And it got a lot of feedback and people just bounced on it. And one of those guys that bounced on it was Rob. And uh, he sent me a DM and we text each other and, we said, yeah, let's do this, you know, and uh, it was just great because at a time like this, we all just need to kind of stay positive and laugh a little bit. And so there's some people that seen the tweet of the bracket and they say, oh, well, this this sucks or whatever. Well, listen, if, if you really can't laugh at this, then you know what? You should just be miserable. You know, like, I don't know what to tell you, but um, no, this is this is what came out. And uh, I'm just glad that we were able to do this because, like you said, it's a lot of deep cuts in here. And I actually texted Rob during this. I was like, because there was some. Uh, a lot of recency moments, which, I mean, mm-hmm. that's easy in the last decade of Jets football. Uh, yeah. But it was good because I was like, you know what, Rob, we need some, you know, mix it up a little bit. And he actually came up and hit a home run out of here. Rob, what made you excited to be a part of this? I mean, well, first off, no, knowing Joe for, you know, four years throughout college too, I know that this guy knows what he's talking about. And I know as a fellow Jets fan, he shares much of the same misery that I've experienced, whether it's, you know, different people in different scenarios. We could have been at two completely different places in our personal lives, but we're still watching the game, same game and, and feeling basically the same things. And sometimes you get these reports or sometimes you see a play or a coaching decision or anything on the media and you're just shaking your head and you're like, what, what in the world is going on with this team right now? Um, so, so I see Joe tweet it out and I'm, I'm also a fellow Mets fan as well. So it, you know, I, I noticed the piece as well, and and I, you know, DM Joe, and and that was really it. But, uh, you know, working with him is, was always great. Um, I know he was on the radio station at Hofstra, something I wish I got into to work with him and plenty of other our friends more. But, um, you know, better late than ever, right? This is a really 
well-researched bracket here. Like you said, this is the type of thing that longtime hardcore Jets fans with a real deep knowledge of the history of the team would put together because it's easy to put in stuff like the butt fumble. Everybody knows about that. It's been shown on ESPN 300 million times. When I look at this list and I see stuff like the Jets losing 52 to 19 to Baltimore in 1977, it shows me that this goes well beyond what the average Jets fan would put in there with recency bias. So I really was drawn to this when I looked at it because I saw a bunch of people bringing it to my attention and I'm like, oh, let me take a look at this. And I went through this and there's some fantastic stuff on here. So, Joe, talk to me a little bit about how you put together the seeds here and explain some of the top seeds that are in this tournament. Yeah, so basically what kind of went through with it was I originally started it off in uh, an Excel spreadsheet, and uh, I kind of went with, you know, like the big stories. You know, the butt fumble, obviously, is number one. Then, like, Brett Favre sending nudes, and that was another one. And then the Belichick napkin, that's the number one in in the uh, South bracket and then in the midwest you have the merino fake spike i think those four number ones are like you know i mean obviously maybe the far of sins nudes could be a little up in the air but i think those four in particular are the one like the four major stories that you know it makes jet fans question like why us you know like why why did this happen to the jets there are these are the only stories that happen to the Jets. You're not gonna get this with the Giants or the Patriots or anything like that. But like to have a future Hall of Fame coach where completely resign on a napkin is just that's just like as Jets as it gets. So I think that's kind of was a that was a big favorite and that had to go number one. And I kind of just think when you go up and down the bracket, you just see like all right, well that's a big moment that should go as a higher seed or. Oh, that's just a nice add-on moment. Nice, I use in uh, quotes. Um, that's just a nice add-on moment. You could just put that a little bit later on. But I think all these moments go up and down. And sure, we missed a lot, but that's the Jets franchise for you. I mean, like I'm not there. You know, we love the franchise. Obviously, we're fans and everything like that. But I think we had to uh, make a couple extra brackets or play in games, as I was telling you guys earlier. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. This is one of those expanded bracket tournaments that we probably could have had. (laughs) Rob, let's talk about this a little bit because you and Joe worked on this together. Tell me about some of the deeper cuts here because we just heard Joe talk about how you came up with some of the one seeds and some of the higher seeds. But I want to know about some of these deeper cuts like OJ Simpson getting to 2,000 yards against the Jets. That was all him. Yeah. Uh, Rob, tell me about it, because you know, as I said, New York Jets history is one of my favorite things to talk about, so I love this stuff. Tell me about how you came up with some of these. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I gotta first off, I gotta give a shout out to my dad there because that's a lot of this is just him, you know, passing on the knowledge, being like, oh, you gotta look this up. If this if this annoys you, you gotta look at this. And it's it's always a thing where I've noticed with a lot of my teams, but again, especially the Jets, whenever somebody's playing us or against us somebody breaks a record somebody gets a milestone they always somehow it's links up with the schedule the fates decided it is always going to be at the hands of the new york jets um so so oj getting 2k was kind of that one example um i mean the amount of stories my dad is and the amount of expletives that uh he said about rich kota <laughs> and that whole 95 96 year winning i think it was four games over the two-year span was brutal um and you know the other ones were you know get name it phasing out before he goes to LA and you get this new guy, Richard Todd, 
and those guys combined for less than 15 touchdowns and almost 30 interceptions in a 3-11 and season. So it's a lot of stuff where, you know, you kind of break into the encyclopedia a little bit, dig a little bit deep, and, you know, a lot of it was me um, and Joe, of course, going on and saying, all right, let's go through the season-by-season records because obviously we weren't around until watching it until the 2000s and on. So a lot of it's saying, all right, 3-11, and 11, I'm sure not a lot of good happened that year, so maybe we'll find something in there. A lot of these stories, and to piggyback off Rob, a lot of these were stories from my uncles, my cousins, you know, my father uh, when he was around. Just like just the fact that this a, a moment like this stood out to them. That's what you hear these stories growing up, but it's like, oh, wow, I got to do a little bit more research on that and then watch it on YouTube. And you're like, wow, do a little face palm right there. Like only the Jets, you know? That's where same old Jets comes from. So that's exactly yeah. why that's the perfect name for this tournament. Let's go through some of these because, like I said, there's some familiar ones and then there's some deeper cuts that only people like me and your uncle and your dad and my dad and people that have been around a long time or have really looked into the history of the team like the two of you have would know about. So we've got the butt fumble, which is a one seed, a 16 seed, the Joe Namath pantyhose advertisement, which is funny because later on on this list, you also have the Brett Favre sending nude pics. So I guess that was kind of like the decades later progression of the Joe Namath pantyhose ad. I don't think anybody saw it coming from Brett Favre, although I don't know that anybody saw it coming from Namath at the time. Fitzpatrick throwing the six INTs. It wasn't a regular season game and a season that ended up being poor, but still, that's one that lurks deep. Revis's Pittsburgh street fight. Yeah, that was a crazy one that came kind of out of nowhere. Some of these don't necessarily seem like ones that were super significant, but again, the point of this is is that it's stuff that could only happen to the Jets, or at least feels like right. it could only happen to the Jets. Now, here's one that I complain about all the time, and I'm going to guess that both of you guys had relatives that still are ready to punch a hole in the wall when they talk about this, the Mud Bowl, because yep. I've mentioned this on the show many, many times, and I've also told people that know Don Shula or have come in contact with Don Shula to make sure that they deliver a message to him, which is that we all know that he did it on purpose. We all know he got that field wet on purpose because he wanted to nullify the Jets' two biggest weapons, Wesley Walker and Freeman McNeil, who were both dominant. He knew he couldn't stop them, so he turned on the sprinklers. Now, to be fair, I think we would all agree that if the three of us saw a Jets coach do something like that, we would all be perfectly no fine with it. No problem. Oh, no problem. No. Completely savvy. But it seems like the kind of thing that could only happen to the Jets. So tell me about what the reactions were from friends and family members that were around at the time when the mud bowl came up. Joe, you go first. Uh, I don't want to like curse or anything like that, but my <laughs> uncle, when he saw it on Facebook, I shared it on Facebook. My uncle was calling out Don Shula and he was saying all these names. And I'm like, listen, this is Facebook. I, we have other people here of all ages. You know, let's kind of tone it down a little bit. But uh, that just goes to show you, it just, it, it really still hits hard to this day because the Jets were having an unbelievable year that year. They had a, they had a legitimate chance of beating the Dolphins. They had to uh, you know move on in the playoffs and, that could have been another big year where it's like, oh, wow, the Jets maybe could have won a Super Bowl that year. Uh, but no, and we still hear it to this day. Every time the Dolphins and Jets play each other, either the broadcaster brings it up or beat reporter writes about it. So it's like it never mm-hmm. ends. So even if you weren't there to witness it, like myself and Rob, 
you know, uh, we just, we hear about it and we are kind of enthralled in it and we know all about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, the, the amount of, the amount of stuff I've heard from my dad and, and his friends about it too, uh, you know, and, and it's funny because they can, you can, again, going back to my other point, you can go back and get, you know, different reactions from different people. And it's almost like a story just changes over time. Oh, well, they were doing this and the fans were like this and it was, you know, but it makes it feel like you're there. And, you know, our, our, our friends and our family, you know, describe it so well that it really made me feel like I was there. And I got that palpable sense of frustration where I can perfectly envision this happening. And it's, you know, even though I wasn't there, I could watch the film, I could do anything. But hearing those recollections from older, older family members, um, it, it hits home and it, and it really makes you feel like you were there. But, you know, Joe said it the best to this day. We don't go a season without thinking about it, hearing about it or forget wishing it never happened. Yeah, that was one of the rougher ones. And here's another one that I think most Jets fans who are around for it would like to smash their head into a wall repeatedly. That's the Rich Kotite era from 1995 to 1996. I'll be honest with you, you could do an entire tournament just based on moments from those two years alone. That goes with Darnold seeing ghosts, fans harassing women in gate D. Oh, my goodness, that is a deep cut, gentlemen. So let's talk about yeah. some of these. Darnold seeing ghosts, everybody knows what that was that happened this past year. Talk a little bit, Joe, about fans harassing women in gate D because that's one that, as I said, is a deep cut, and a lot of people might not know about it. Yeah, I actually, uh, I was actually the one that put that in there because yeah. I remember hearing about it uh, when I was younger, actually because I knew there was a problem with like alcohol sales on Monday night football. And I knew about it. And then I remember going to the old Meadowlands. I always call that stadium, the old Meadowlands. Uh, yep. And remember those big ramps on each corner of the stadium. And I always knew like there were people that gathered over there and I went when I was younger, but I never knew exactly what happened. But then I remember an article that came out in the times and it really described what was going on. And I just thought to myself, are Jeff fans really this moronic like is this really what goes on when people have a little alcohol in their system and the team is so bad so uh yeah i think that came out probably around like oh seven i think i want to say around that yeah, time I think, I think you're right yeah. like, like mid 2000s even maybe even a little earlier than that but um no that was something that went on and it's not it's kind of like a black eye on the jets fandom i don't want that to to kind of put you know, an overall uh, message towards Jet fans because the, the majority of us are crazy, but that's just, uh, you know, like a Neanderthal level. Believe me, as a 35-year season ticket holder, I've seen worse. I know it's hard to believe, but this is the same old Jets tournament, so trust me, you have no idea what I've seen. There's been some really crazy stuff in the stands at Jets games. Let's talk about the Rich Kotite era here a little bit, Rob, because... I know that a lot of people were really upset with what went down with Adam Gase early this year. People talk about Todd Bowles, but people who weren't around for the Rich Cotate era just have no idea the level of incompetence. It is historically bad incompetence. I can't even tell you how bad this team was for those two years on so many different levels. And I've had players on the show that have talked about what it was like to play for Rich Kotite. And the only thing I could tell you is I would recommend going back into the archives. You can hear Ray Mickens and you can hear Marcus Coleman and you can hear Adrian Morrell talk about playing for Rich Kotite. And you can also hear them talk about the difference between playing for Rich Kotite and playing for Bill Parcells. 
let's just say worlds of difference there. But talk to me about what you heard when you talked to friends and family members about the Rich Kotite era, because I still think that this was by far the most embarrassing two years that the Jets have ever had in their history. Yeah, and I think it's safe to say, Scott, that that my dad and, and his friends around that would 110% agree with you there. Um, it, it got to a point where, where first, I, it actually, I brought it up when it was um, it was Eric Mangini's first year of coaching. And I remember my dad, they had just lost the, the wild card game to New England in New England. Um, so we were sitting down at dinner having a little bit of a talk. And I said, you know, have, have there been any like really bad coaches? Because you think about it, Parcells, very good coach. Herm Edwards, I personally like, but, you know, he had a little bit of longevity in the league and he knows what he's talking about. And of course, hopes were high with Mangini and that's all who I, really I experienced. And he says, oh yeah, this guy, Rich Kotite, look him up. <laughs> all right, so I'll look up Rich Kotite. So I'm looking, I'm looking at his, you know, and I see two years and I said, well, that is two, two bad years. So I said, all right. So I look at 95 and I see, okay, you have an aging boomer on the team. You know, 16 and 15, not that great for touchdowns and picks, respectively. Your leading rusher was Adrian Morrell, where if you ask the average Jets fan, they're not going to, especially people, myself and Joe's age, probably not going to know who Adrian Morrell is. And then the only other person many people know for Jets fans on there was Wayne Corbett, who was the team's uh, leading receiver that year. So you could chalk 95 up, three wins, not a lot of talent on the roster, aging quarterback, maybe some some, uh, faults there, so be it. Next year two less wins and you sign a, a five-year $25 million deal with Neil O'Donnell from Pittsburgh. You have Frank Reich, a quarterback. Morrell rushes for over 1,200 yards. You draft Keyshawn Johnson in the draft and you win two less games. <laughs> that is a sign of a bad coach. I think that most people would agree that the 95 team was way worse but the 96 team was way more embarrassing for the exact reasons that you just pointed out. I will <laughs> never forget watching those two years and just throwing my hands up. And, of course, the clincher on it was when Rich Kotite stepped aside, the famous words, I didn't quit, I wasn't fired. Okay, well then what happened, yep. Rich? Not entirely clear on this. <laughs> but, yeah, we've done some episodes involving stuff that went down in the Rich Kotite era and... Yeah, it's not pretty. I recommend you go back and listen to what Marcus Coleman had to say when we talked about the beginning of his career, when we did the watch along of the Monday Night Miracle. I recommend listening to the episode on 1998 with Ray Mickens, where he talked about the difference between playing for Bill Parcells and playing for Rich Kotite. And I also recommend going back and listening to our look back at the 1997 season with the aforementioned Adrian Morrell, who actually was a really, really good running back. And he was yeah. torn a little bit because Rich Kotite was the one that gave him his first real opportunity to start. But he had to be honest about the differences between Rich Kotite and Bill Parcells. And I think my favorite story that Adrian told, and you'll hear it if you go back into the archives and listen to the series, is Bill Parcells walked in during the first meeting, threw a big binder down on the desk, and he said, can anyone tell me what this is? And somebody said, is that the list of plays that we're doing, the playbook that you put together? And he said, no, this is the injury report from last year. This crap stops right now. And Morell said that on the plane ride back from their first series of practices, a whole bunch of guys decided to retire right then and there because they just couldn't deal with the difference between Rich Kotite and Bill Parcells. So that tells you the difference between somebody wow, who's a amazing. real football coach and Rich Kotite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. So moving along in this tournament, we have you play to win the game. Everybody knows that one. It's pretty famous. The clip still gets played. It's Herm Edwards, an outburst during the press conference where people are asking him about the record and he smashes his hand on the table and says, you play to win the game. You don't just play it to play it. To this day, I listen back to it and don't really know what he was trying to say, but it was hilarious. And that's the beauty of Herm. And it's why I'm glad that he's back coaching now with Arizona State. Yeah. And now here is a very deep cut. I want to know where you came up with this one, Bubby Brister's shuffle pass against Carolina. I had to do a little research in that. I'm not going to lie. I did look that up, and I remember watching that, and I guess that was during the coat Dyed era as well. And, mm. uh, my God, I remember – I actually just watched the clip again today on YouTube, and it was just an awful pass. It was almost like the Baker Mayfield pass to the uh, Patriots this year where he basically – just handed it off to the – well, I think it was a lineman or a linebacker or something, and he ran it back. And that led to a previously winless Panthers team coming back against the Jets and winning their first game in franchise history. So, I mean, that's just, you know, all Jets right there. It was just served him on a platter. That was such a Jets moment, and like I said, a real deep cut. Then we get to Rex's foot fetish. Everybody knows about that one where he got caught talking about his fetish for his wife's feet. And I believe his line at the time was, only he could get in trouble in a sex scandal with his own wife. So <laughs> I thought that was a very Jets moment. Tim Tebow running shirtless in the rain. We all remember that one. Here's one of my first moments that I knew that the Jets were cursed. It was 1986, the Mark Gastineau late hit, roughing the passer penalty against Cleveland. Now, to be fair, 
and you heard Wesley Walker talk about this when he was on the show, and also JoJo Townsell when he was on to discuss the 1986 season in detail. While what Gastineau did was absolutely awful and led to the Browns being able to score on that drive and keep the game alive because the Jets were up by 10 points with five minutes to go, there were other factors that led to this. For instance, Wesley Walker himself fumbled at one point, and that cost the Jets. In overtime, they had opportunities and couldn't get it done. They couldn't stop the Browns at all. Kevin Mack just ran a hole through that defense in the overtime period. But I still remember saying to my father at the time, how did this happen? How could the Jets blow a 10-point lead? They would have gone to the AFC Championship game, and he said, they're the Jets, just get used to it, which I'm sure you guys heard a lot of <laughs> when you were talking to friends and family members. And the amazing part of that is, and JoJo Townsell talked about this on the show, the Jets had destroyed the Denver Broncos earlier that year. They were super confident that they would have beaten the Broncos again. If only they could have held on against the Browns. And then, gentlemen, we would have had a real interesting moment because we would have had a Jets-Giants Super Bowl. Which I remember asking actually my uncle about it in the past when I was younger. I was I always said, could there be a chance like we get a Subway Series Super Bowl where, you know, like the Yankees and Mets in 2000, you get the Giants and Jets? He goes, yeah, but that'll never happen. <laughs> it always seems like whenever the Jets have a good season, the Giants have an awful season or vice versa. You know, so that's that's the one thing that stood out to me. Or they're both horrible. Or they're both <laughs> horrible. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like they but, here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my, my dad is so old fashioned where even now he's the guy where you're just like these guys celebrating in the end zone. I mean, he is going to be the crotchety old man on the porch telling the kids to get off <laughs> his lawn. I mean, there's no question about that. But he goes. When I see, he's like, I never liked that sack dance. Never liked that sack dance. He's like, of course, he does it in the playoffs. He's being a bozo, and it costs us the game. And I think, and I, as you said before, Scott, there are there plenty of instances. My dad mapped out that whole game for me, and the Wesley Walker fumble. But he, in his mind, in his friends' minds, that moment was like the kicker right there. Mm -hmm. That is just like what the most deflating moment. Something good happens for you, and then you run into your own self and ruin it and that's completely on you and it was completely on him and it just it took the whole team out of the game from what he said and and i certainly believe that it did it was a second and 23 it would have been a third and 23 had gasino not got flagged for that penalty and yeah it certainly was one of the key points of the game i did tell connie carberg half jokingly one time because it's not like mark gasino cares what I have to say about it, but she's the scout who discovered Mark Gastineau and recommended that the Jets draft him, and she was also the first female scout in the NFL. I've become pretty good friends with her now, and I teased her one time and said, tell Mark that I forgive him for that play. <laughs> so she laughed and said that she would. As we move along on this list, we also have Tom Tupa, the punter, coming in at quarterback. Now, the interesting thing about this, obviously, is that Tom Tupa was a quarterback and then got converted to punter, and the Jets used him as their backup quarterback so that they could save a roster spot. And the irony of all ironies is here that in the fourth quarter of the game you're talking about, which was, of course, in 1999 when Vinny Testaverde ruptured his Achilles tendon on the opening drive of the opening game, when the Jets were favored to come out of the AFC that year because John Elway had just retired, 
They put in Tom Tupa because they had no choice, and Tupa actually did reasonably well, and the team was winning. In the fourth quarter, when the emergency quarterback, Rick Myra, came in, the Jets ended up losing the game. The Jets finished the season 8-8. Eight and eight. If they'd won one more game, perhaps that one on the opening week, they would have gone 9-7, and seven, made the playoffs, and they ended the season winning four games in a row. So, if Tom Tupa, the punter, had actually stayed in the rest of that game, Perhaps the Jets make the playoffs, and that even adds to the Jetsiness of this whole thing. Absolutely, no, no question at all. I think, and and we were debating this too. At least I was. I'm sure Joe was too. And I think, and and I, we saw a few people on Twitter say, "Well, you know, Testaverde ruptured his Achilles." Yeah, that's certainly a Jets moment. And if it was, they had Pennington or anyone else come in as a backup. Yeah, okay, we put up. We probably would have called it you know, Tessaverde rushes his Achilles ruining that season, you know, and all the high hopes people had. Um, but the fact that Tom Tupa comes in, like you said, does reasonably well, throws a couple of touchdowns, then they take him out. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it. you said it the best. It, it just adds on to the same old jetsiness of the entire saga, which baffled me. Another thing that could only happen to the Jets where A, they'd be forced to put their punter into a game at quarterback and B, if they only would have left that punter in, they might have actually made the playoffs. And of course, we have the I want to kiss you moment. Everybody remembers that with Joe Namath and Susie Colbert on Monday Night Football. Not much to say about that other than I don't know how many teams in any sport would have their all-time biggest legend doing something like that and making a fool of himself on national television. The 1969 title game, goal line stuffing. Wow, that's a deep cut. Which one of you two came up with that? Yeah, that was me. Um, and I think I think the biggest thing there is I feel that that was that was I thought it was important to put on because that's basically the first of all of these. That was the year the Jets could have repeated. That would have put the AFC on the map even more so, or the AFL, excuse me, the AFL on the map even more so. But of course, they get stuffed by Kansas City, and, and Kansas City eventually went on to, to win the Super Bowl, which helped, which helped the uh, the American Football League. But when you're talking about the Jetsiest moments, and you know that that's really where it starts, is getting you know stuffed at the goal line a few times, and you lose your shot at uh, at re- as repeating as champs, and it could have changed you know, the culture of the franchise going forward where, okay, we have more than one. Uh, who knows? Maybe maybe something could have changed down the line, but it, it started it all in my mind, so I thought it was pretty important. Brett Favre sending nude pictures. Yeah, that seems like something that would only happen to the Jets or maybe the Cowboys back in the 90s when all that lunacy was going on. But they were at least winning at the time. The Jets, no such luck. O.J. Simpson gets 2,000 yards against the Jets. Now, I got to point this out. Not only did O.J. Simpson get 2,000 yards against the Jets, but so did Barry Sanders back in 97. And Barry Sanders knocked the Jets out of the playoffs because the Lions' victory over the Jets that day Knocked the Jets out at 9-7 and seven instead of them getting in. So if you think about it, O.J. Simpson and then Barry Sanders, more than one decade where the Jets pulled the Jetsy move, let a running back dominate them for the 2,000 yards, and then, of course, in the case of Sanders, actually knocked them out of the playoffs in the process. That makes sense. I wouldn't expect anything less. <laughs> like we said, it's all the jetsiest moments. 2010 AFC title comeback falls short. We all know what happened there. The Jets got off to a really bad start. They were able to mount a comeback, but it just wasn't enough. The Gase crazy-eyed presser, yeah, again, seems like something that only would have happened to the Jets. What other team would have their head coach just after getting hired do a press conference where the entire world is laughing 
at the way that his eyes were moving. It just was a bad omen that I think showed you a lot of what was actually going to go on under Gase. Vernon Golston at number six overall. I've talked about this before. Arguably one of the biggest draft busts in NFL history, let alone Jets draft busts, because this is a player who not only didn't live up to the number six overall pick, but actually barely ever got on the field, registered zero sacks, registered virtually no meaningful statistics whatsoever, played no meaningful role as a reserve and ended up getting released after only a couple of years, did nothing after that too. So for as much as everybody wants to talk about guys like Johnny Lamb Jones, who was clearly a huge bust, he at least had pockets of production. For what anybody wants to say about Blair Thomas, same thing. At least there were games where he was productive. No such luck with Vernon Golston. So that's why I think he's not only the biggest draft bust in Jets history, but one of the biggest draft busts of all time. The 09 AFC title choke against Indianapolis. That one, I can't really get too crazy about because they were underdogs and they were on the road. You had the lead going to the half and they let out that late touchdown at the end of the half. And that just kind of led everything to spiral out of control. I remember that very vividly that year. And that was a very Jets thing to do as well, where they had the lead and it looked like there was a real chance and then the rug got pulled out from under us. And that's what we're used to. Anytime something good happens, we know that the other shoe is going to drop at some point. Kellen Winslow Jr. in the parking lot. I don't even really know how to describe that, but I'm just going to say it's not safe for work, so go to Google for that. The Jets signed Tremaine Johnson. Maybe the worst signing in Jets franchise history. McDonald's at Hofstra camp. Which one of you came up with that one? Yeah, that was me. I mean, I was watching Hard Knocks that year, and I'm like, I was at that camp, and I didn't even see those guys eating McDonald's. I completely even missed it. So I went back and I, I showed my dad. I said, hey, look what we missed. And you see Rex getting on their case afterwards and everything. And funny, Re- Rex is the one telling, uh, you know, criticizing people about their eating habits. So, <laughs> yeah, well, Rex just wanted to go grab a GD snack. That's all he was interested yeah, in at the time. <laughs> that's about right. Not a McChicken. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just like it's like, what are you doing, man? You're here for the fans and you're just lounging around eating McDonald's. I had no problem with it, mainly because I didn't even see it. Didn't seem like any of the fans had a problem with it, but I completely understood where Rex was coming from there. Sean Ellis throwing a snowball. That was a deep cut as well. Sean Ellis was a guy, and we had a couple of players that played with him on the show. Kerry Rhodes was on, as well as Thomas Jones and Justin Miller. And they all said that Sean Ellis was a very laid-back guy, but if you got him mad, if you riled him up, get the heck away from him. And that was another example of that. When you really made Sean Ellis upset, he was going to do something like that. Mark Sanchez tears his shoulder against the Giants in the preseason game. That was such a Jets thing to happen that the guy who was the projected starting quarterback going into training camp would tear his shoulder in a preseason game. But of course, that was not the only time that a Jets starting quarterback would get badly injured in a preseason game and miss at least a portion of the season because the same thing happened to Chad Pennington years earlier. Adam Gase alone in the draft room speaks for itself. Quinn and Williams arrested with a gun. That's one of those things where I don't think it was that big of a deal, but again, it just kind of goes to that same old Jets thing. It plays into the narrative. Bill Belichick resigning on the napkin. Everybody knows about this, and it is probably the number one franchise-altering moment that this team has ever had in a negative way. The other one we're going to get to in a bit. 
Johnny Lamb Jones, who I talked about before, obviously they traded up for him and he was a massive disappointment. Wesley Walker was on the show and talked about how he thinks that a big part of it is that Lamb just never got proper coaching. He thinks that if he had the time to work with Johnny Lamb Jones at the time, and Johnny Lamb Jones recently passed away, so rest in peace to Johnny Lamb Jones and again, condolences to his family. But if he had had the opportunity to work with Jones, he thinks he could have turned him into something. And he had that speed. He just couldn't put it all together as a football player, but did have the occasional good game. So as I said, still worlds better than Vernon Golston. The Wyatt Twitter saga, that one is as jetsy as it gets because there's just no way that that would have happened with any other team. Santonio Holmes getting kicked out of the huddle by his teammates. And I think I would compound this as far as the jetsiness of it, guys, because Rex Ryan didn't even know about it until after the game. I was actually at that game. So we all of a sudden we saw Santonio Holmes off. We're like, why is he out of the game? I didn't, nobody understood. And it was down in Miami. You know, it wasn't a control your own destiny situation because I think the Titans and Steelers both won that game. So even if we did win, we wouldn't have made the playoffs. But it was still one of those games where it's like, why, why, just why, you know? And that just led into everything spiraling out of control. Doug Bryan misses two field goals against the Steelers in the playoffs in 2004 and costs the Jets the game. I was talking to you guys before we started recording, and Rob, I know that you said that this was one of your first big moments as a Jets fan, and I still blame Herman Edwards a lot for this because as much as Doug Bryan should have hit one of those kicks, that was a notoriously difficult field to kick on, and instead of trying to get Doug Bryan some extra yardage, Herm Edwards played it way too safe, ran into the line three times, and then they kicked far field goals. So as much as Doug Bryan does get some of the blame for that, I think some of it definitely has to go to Herm Edwards. Although, as I said to you guys, as you look back at the Herm Edwards era, even if there were a lot of lowlights, there were some positives, and if nothing else, it was never boring, and that's what people at Arizona State are finding out right now. Because when it comes to Herm, he was always entertaining, but probably played it a little too safe, which is not necessarily something you want in a football coach, but it's definitely something you want in a home security system like Simply Safe. Every night, local police departments across America receive hundreds of calls from burglar alarms. The vast majority of the time, they have no idea whether the alarm's real. Is there really a crime going on or not? All the alarm company can tell them is that the motion sensor went off. But Simply Safe gives you a much higher level of home security. If there's a break-in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. That means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. You get comprehensive protection for your entire home, 24-7 monitoring by live security professionals. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com overtime and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash overtime so they know play like a jet sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash overtime. Moving along to Neil O'Donnell signing the five-year $25 million deal. We talked about this before. I actually liked the deal at the time because I thought that it would give the Jets a respectable starting quarterback. Little did we know what was actually going to happen with Neil O'Donnell because he got hurt the first year. Second year, Parcells comes in, ends up more or less replacing him in the key moments 
of that game in 97 that I talked about with Barry Sanders where the Jets desperately needed to score. He had Leon Johnson throw a halfback option. He threw in Ray Lucas for trick plays. Those are not things that you do when you trust your quarterback. And then in 1998, that was the end of Neil O'Donnell and the reins would get turned over to Glenn Foley temporarily until Long Island native Vinny Testaverde came off the bench and took the reins and actually gave the Jets one of the best seasons any Jet quarterback has ever given them. Jamal Adams, deadline drama. Yeah, (laughs) sure felt like some Jets drama right there. We'll see how this shakes out. I think that they're eventually going to sign Jamal Adams, so it looks like that all worked itself out. And believe it or not, he had a rough week or two, but after that, Jamal Adams played the best football of his career. So maybe that drama leads to something good. The New York Jets shuffle five quarterbacks in 2005, and yes, this is an all-time same old Jets type of thing because every quarterback that was on the roster got hurt at some point. It was absolutely remarkable. In the same game, Chad Pennington ended up out for the year, and so did his backup, Jay Fiedler. Collapse in 2008. We talked about Brett Favre sending nudes before. Maybe if instead of sending nudes, he would have let the coaching staff know that he was injured and let somebody else play. They might have been able to hang on and go to the playoffs. But then again, his backup was Kellen Clemens, who the following year, when he had an opportunity to play because Sanchez was injured, the coaching staff had so much confidence in him that they more or less told him to stand there like a statue and hand the ball off. So not so sure it would have made a difference. But of course, the Jets being 8-3 and three and on the verge of a possible Super Bowl run ends in disaster as they only win one game the rest of the year after that. And if you want to hear all about that season in detail, Kerry Rhodes joined me for a series on 2008. It's in our archives. Victor Cruz, the 99 yards. That, to me, was the beginning of the end of the Rex era. A lot of the things on here you guys had to research or talk to family members about. But, Joe, this one, I'm sure, is burned deep in your memory. Absolutely. I mean, I was at that game. And all I remember, because I was a season ticket holder for... uh, from 2009 to 2013, uh, my, my uncles and my cousins still have those tickets. And all I remember, it was on Christmas Eve, too. So I was over, we were getting ready to, uh, you know, enjoy a nice Christmas Eve, you know, a nice Italian meal, the fishes and everything like that. But before we go to the game, and uh, the one thing that I just would still is burned into my head were the number of Giant fans there. And, you know, the Jets got off to a good start. You we were going crazy thinking like, all right, you know, we're going to make, we're going to salvage the season and make the playoffs. And then Victor Cruz and Eli Manning backed up at their own one yard line. We're going nuts trying to get into their head. And all of a sudden Eric Smith misses a tackle. Cromartie misses a tackle. And it, it just gets just ugly from there. Just absolutely ugly. And I will never forget that. But that bracket actually, the collapse of 08 and Victor Cruz, 99 yards, that was the toughest one, in my opinion, because both were so uh, so difficult to accept as a younger Jeff fan at the time. Yeah, no question. Darnold catching mono. Everybody knows that that could only happen to the Jets. Of course, we know that there have been plenty of jokes about how Sam Darnold got the mono and who he kissed. And as I said, there is no other team that would have a starting quarterback catch mono and derail the season in that way. There are so many ways that you could have thought that the season would go wrong involving Sam Darnold. But if you would have asked most Jets fans and asked for a hundred different ways that the season would go wrong, there is no way that any of them would have put Darnold getting mono on that list. The loss against the Raiders in the 2003 playoffs, which was the end of the 2002 season, 
That was a painful one for me because Chad Pennington was on a magic carpet ride. The Jets had started 2-5 and five that season. Chad Pennington came in and was absolutely outstanding. And the end of that season, and I've talked about this before, was one of my favorite memories ever as a Jets fan. I'll relive it very briefly. I was on the way to the game. The Jets needed one of like five different things to happen, a team to lose, a team to win, and pretty much all of them were closed off as we were getting into the parking lot. And at that point, I wanted to just turn around and go home because I said, oh, this is great. The Jets will go in, they'll win, and they're going to miss the playoffs. This game is going to be worthless. We're all going to be upset going home anyway. And then Dave Wanstead decided to give every Jets fan a Christmas gift because what ended up happening was the Dolphins had a 10-point lead late in the game against the Patriots, and the Jets needed the Patriots to win so they could overtake the Dolphins for the division. And Dave Wanstead decided to throw the ball a bunch, kill the clock, give the Patriots the opportunity to get back into this thing. The Patriots were able to make a comeback. And this was kind of the reverse of what happened to the Jets with Gastineau, where they blew a 10-point lead in five minutes. That's more or less what the Dolphins did on this day, and it went to overtime. And back then, we didn't have smartphones or any way to watch this stuff except on portable TVs. So I remember we were in the parking lot, and a whole huge crowd was gathered around one person who had a TV in the parking lot watching the overtime period between the Patriots and the Dolphins. And the Patriots were driving and driving and driving, and finally they got in a field goal position. And Adam Vinatieri lined up for the kick, and we were all standing there. And Vinatieri put it through. And people were hugging. You would have thought that everybody in the parking lot just won the lottery the way that everybody was celebrating. It was incredible. And then, of course, we went to the stadium, and the Jets just absolutely crushed Brett Favre and the Packers, handed him one of the worst defeats of his career. The following week, they ended up at home and absolutely stomped a hole in Peyton Manning. And the joke that I've made many times is that Manning waited many years but recommended Adam Gase to be the new head coach of the Jets last year as his revenge for that embarrassment that day. He was playing the long game. But then, of course, it all came crashing down against the Raiders where Chad Pennington, who had been incredible all year, was terrible that day. And so that was a big heartbreaker at the time. And 98 in the title game. This is kind of along the lines of what happened again when we talked about it before, the 2009 title game where the Jets were ahead of the Colts at halftime. The Jets were winning halfway through the third quarter, and then it all fell apart, guys. Yeah, my uncle to this day talks about it. He's when he when I originally told him about the bracket, he said, I don't even want to look at it. If the 98 game isn't there, I'm not voting. So he goes, so I was like, no, no, don't worry about it. The 98 game is there. So I think that's going to be a, a national champion for uh, many Jet fans. I think so as well. It's, it got to a point where, I mean, my dad is, is the, the same thing. You know, won't, won't go any season without bringing that game up and just talking about all the collapses and just allowing a team to, to get back into it. You know, a lot I mean, of the, the 98 Jets you, were so good. I mean, exactly. They, they were so good. They had parcels. They were clicking on all cylinders. I mean, this team was really one of the best teams in recent mem- at least one of the best teams in franchise history. And the fact that they lost to Elway was just a heartbreaker and gut wrencher. Yeah, no question at all. Next up on the list of disappointments, Darrell Revis signs at the New England Patriots on a one-year deal. This was a season after the Jets traded him to the Bucks for a first and fourth round pick. 
Revis ends up winning a Super Bowl with the team's arch enemy, and then to make this even more Jetsy, the Jets bring Revis back on a huge contract, and it becomes clear very quickly that he's washed up and can't do anything close to what he used to do, and in fact, that Bill Belichick had used him in a correct way, not putting him on an island against the number one receivers anymore, but putting him up against the number two guy and bracketing off the number one. The Jets thought they were getting the Darrell Revis that they had had a couple years earlier. They weren't. So this put a whole twist on it. There's really no other way that you could spin this other than in six different directions that make the Jets look like the Jets. Yeah, and then they burned a lot of money on Revis after he spurned kind of the fan base where he left. Uh, he didn't leave, but we traded him. But at the same time, he wanted out when he didn't want the contract. And I think a lot of Jet fans like myself got fed up. Um, I- I'm not one to burn jerseys or anything, but let's just say I retired my Revis jersey that day when he did get traded because, he, from my, my opinion, he just went for the money, and that was why we had to get rid of him. Yeah, and, and the re-signing to me, too, and, and it goes back to, you know, people that my dad have told me about, too, but the Jets are notorious, and sometimes it works out. LT had a pretty good stint. LaDainian Thompson had a pretty good stint with the team, um, helped them go to go to the, you know, 2010 championship game and, you know, produced a good amount of yards. But the Jets are notorious, I feel, for signing these primetime players that are simply just out of their prime. You look at Ronnie Lott, John Riggins, Ed Reed, and, you know, it's the list go, it can go on and on, and I feel like, yeah, there was an aspect where Revis started with the team and it was kind of more of a sentimental thing in bringing him back. But it was a lot of money for a sentiment that didn't turn out to be pretty uh, and, and pretty well for the team. So unfortunate to say the least. Geno Smith gets sucker punched. Of course, this happened in the Jets. We've talked about how the Jets have lost starting quarterbacks in a variety of different ways. Vinny Testaverde tears his ACL on the first drive of the season in 1999. Chad Pennington and Mark Sanchez both get hurt in preseason games. If you go back to 1979, the story of what happened to Matt Robinson, which to this day, nobody's 100% clear on what it was that caused the injury, but he got hurt, lied to the coach, coach benches him, Richard Todd comes back in, and away we go. This is just kind of how things work out for the Jets. But of course, the presumed starting quarterback getting his jaw broken after being punched in the face in a locker room dispute with a reserve linebacker. That was something new. I don't think any team had ever seen that before. But since the Jets are trailblazers in different ways to bizarrely disappoint us, that, of course, was something that happened here. Yeah, my, da- my dad actually never really liked Gino, but he, and he's, he's really never one for getting jerseys, too, because, again, he's old-fashioned. He's like, they're going to leave the team in three years. But I tell him the news, and he goes, give me that NM Poly kid's jersey. I want that. <laughs> the 06 wildcard loss to the Patriots I don't know that I would have put this on there just because they were expected to lose that game but certainly it was a gut punch to lose to your rival and especially after all the high hopes because you had stolen away Eric Mangini from the Patriots here's one that has so many different levels to it and I talk about this all the time the Marino fake spike and you have this as a number one seed the Jets were winning this game 24 to 6. At the time the Jets were 6 and 5 and the Dolphins were 7 and 4. They were basically playing for the lead in the division. And the yeah. Jets looked like they had this thing sewn up and then sure enough in the fourth quarter Dan Marino leading the comeback and then on that fateful drive when he faked the spike and everybody froze and Aaron Glenn who's one of the best players in Jets history was caught off guard. 
The pass was complete to Mark Ingram for the touchdown. Dolphins end up winning that game. The Jets sputter, lose the last five games. And here's why I say it has many layers. Because not only did the Dolphins go on to win the division and the Jets finish 6-10, and 10, even though they were 6-5 and five heading into that game, but they ended up firing their first-year head coach. That guy was named Pete Carroll. So you may have heard of him. I don't know. I think he won a few national championships and a Super Bowl. The guy they hired was a gentleman that we spoke about earlier. That's Rich Kotite. So this had many, many layers of punches to the gut, and I think that's why it earned a number one seed in your bracket. Right, Rob? Yeah, no question. And, and Joe Joe actually had all the number one seats planned out. I mean, the kid, kid was ahead of the game when, when I sent <laughs> him a message. So like, like he normally is, he's a professional guy. Oh, uh, stop. He sent, me the, <laughs> he sent me the number one seeds, and I, I just laughed. It's... I was just like, how, how can you put anything higher than that? Um, and my, you know, again, going back to my dad, it's to this day, you know, we should have kept Pete Carroll. I knew that guy was good. Granted, he went on to the Patriots and had a little bit of a, a losing record there still. But yeah, probably someone the Jets should have hung on to and, and gave a little bit more time to. And you never hear about that really anymore uh, of coaches, you know, getting fired after one year. I mean, occasionally you do. You get a couple like the Denver coach, what was it, Vance Joseph or or Arizona? I can't for, can't remember. Um, but at the same time, you know, Pete Carroll, why not give him another chance? You know, after starting yeah. off the year so promising, uh, I get that a lot from my family members. I know my girlfriend's father still to this day talks about Pete Carroll and how he still roots for him. Um, it's it's amazing that we had some like of the best coaches and still nothing, nothing to show for in over 50 years. From there, we go to the Jets giving the Dolphins and the Cincinnati Bengals their first win of the season. This was the first time that a team had lost to somebody that was 0-7 more than once in a season. Absolutely incredible accomplishment there by the Jets. Garrison Hurst's overtime run in the 1998 season, the opener. I'll never forget that one. That was a great game, too, and Glenn Foley played really, really well. You were pretty convinced that he had a chance to be the guy watching him in that game, and then... Hurst with that overtime run and the reason why this adds an extra level of gut punch to it is the history with Garrison Hurst because in the 1993 draft the Jets were in position to draft Garrison Hurst but they really wanted Marvin Jones so they bluffed the Arizona Cardinals into trading up a spot to take Garrison Hurst they got Johnny Johnson in the deal moved back a spot and took Marvin Jones Marvin Jones turned out to be a pretty good player for the Jets for about a decade never quite reached the level of dominance that people expected but was still a very good player for a long time Garrison Hurst didn't actually do that well in Arizona and then hurt his knee had a second life in San Francisco though and that second life included of course torching the Jets on the first game of the 98 season but on the bright side, later that year, Vinny Testaverde would take over, and as we said, he would give the Jets one of their best seasons ever. So a gut punch there and a double gut punch, really, if you consider the history with Hurst. But still, in the end, at least it led to something positive that season. So can't get too crazy about it, but at the time, oh, man, that felt really rough. Two L's to Rex in 2016. Yeah, and of course, that loss against Rex that knocked them out of the playoffs at the end of what was the 2015 season. Certainly an all-timer there. And, hey, I don't know how this one didn't get a number one seed, guys. I'm going to be honest with you, or at least a number two. Mo Lewis knocking out Drew Bledsoe in 2000, leading to the beginning of the Tom Brady era. Joe, this was, as I said before with Bill Belichick, a franchise-defining moment in the negative direction. 
No, I know. And I was thinking about it. And now that I look at it even more in retrospect, it probably should have been at least the two because the the ones are pretty, pretty solid. I think we could all agree with that. But I think this should have definitely been higher with the whole, uh, you know, obviously, Brady, I mean, Brady was going to take over the realms eventually. But just the fact that it was so soon. And of course, Brady comes in against the Jets. And of course, we are the reason why. Brady was able to lead a whole dynasty for our rival. I think it just makes sense that it was the Jets. And I'm in complete agreement with you, man. I think uh, this definitely should have been a little bit higher now that I think about yeah. it. Next up, we've got, as I mentioned before, a deep cut. 52-19 to loss to Baltimore in 1977. Oh. Drafting Kenny O'Brien in the 1983 draft over Dan Marino. This is an interesting one because as much as it was the wrong decision, clearly, because Dan Marino went on to be one of the five best quarterbacks of all time, Ken O'Brien was at least good. So it's not like they drafted Mm -hmm. a bust in place of Dan Marino. And something that a lot of people don't realize, Kenny O'Brien got the better of Dan Marino a lot. He was 6-5 and head-to-head against Marino. So this wasn't the worst result in the world. It's just a case where, to me, it felt like the equivalent of drafting Matthew Stafford over Aaron Rodgers. You're taking a good-to-very-good quarterback over an all-time great. And, of course, that's something that only the Jets could do coupled with the fact that their division rival took the other quarterback. Exactly. And I think people argue, I know uh, some fan members argue, that had the Jets drafted uh, Marino over O'Brien, they probably would have won a Super Bowl. But, I mean, again, Kenny O'Brien was a very good quarterback. And I don't want to – and I know a lot of people were coming after me on Twitter because of that. Uh, And I totally understand. I totally understand. And this is no knock on Kenny O'Brien, but – Dan Marino is one of the best of all time. Let's call a spade a spade here. That's why we did it. Next up, Namath and Richard Todd go 3-11 in 1976. Not exactly the best start to Richard Todd's career. Richard Todd had a very volatile career here with the Jets, although in 1981 he really won the crowd over. And I still say, if you haven't seen that game at Shea Stadium with the Jets and the Miami Dolphins where the Jets were able to win with Richard Todd hobbling on one leg with broken ribs and finding Jerome Barkham in the end zone with under 20 seconds left to go, the crowd going absolutely crazy, and Mark Gastineau lapping the field for what felt like 20 minutes. You can find it on YouTube. The full game is there if you're a Jets fan. Can't recommend watching it enough. The Heidi game, oh, well, yeah, we covered that one on the show with John Schmidt, who was on the team the year that they won the Super Bowl. Nothing like that in NFL history, and let's be honest, it would never happen again where an NFL game would be taken off the air for a movie, but at the time, things were a little bit different. Al Toon ends up retiring early because of concussions. Yeah, that felt like a curse as well. Although Al Toon did give the Jets several excellent seasons, it felt like he had the potential to be one of the all-time greats. I still like to blame Joe Walton a lot for that because Altoon was so big and so fast and had such great hands, but Joe Walton kept putting him in position to be the guy over the middle to get smashed, and I think he did Altoon no favors whatsoever, shorten his career. Altoon drafted ahead of Jerry Rice. That's another one that people could talk about, but I still think that Altoon could have been one of the all-time great receivers if he hadn't had his career shortened and if Joe Walton hadn't used him the way that he did. 
Next up, the Patriots embarrassing the Jets on Monday Night Football 45-3. to We all remember that, but of course the Jets did get sweet revenge in a very un-Jets-like moment a couple of months later. The 91 wildcard loss to the Oilers. That was a deep cut, guys. Where did you get that one from? Which family member was upset about that? Uh, again, it goes back to my uncles. Uh, these these losses, especially in the playoffs, uh, they, they all kind of stand out to them, but... They told me about it. I did some research on it. I saw the score. I said, all right, we, we need a couple of more deep cuts. So let me throw this in there. Maybe we'll get some uh, older Jet fans to be like, oh, wow, I remember this. This one really stung me. But in my opinion, going up against the 45-3 Monday night game, I remember turning on ESPN that day, getting ready, psyching myself up to watch that game because the Jets were having an unbelievable year. They go up to New England. We could beat the Patriots and really put us on the map, this and that. And just from the first play of the game, it was just a total nightmare. And then it goes yeah. on to be one of the worst losses. They don't score a touchdown. They bury the football. It was just a total, total meltdown. But, again, like you said, Scott, I mean, the fact that they were able to win up in Foxborough in the playoffs, I'll lose 45-3 any day if you could do that again. Yep, no question. Finishing this out, we had a couple of extra ones. Rex Ryan getting the tattoo of Mark Sanchez, which, of course, resulted in flat-out disaster because if he'd gotten the tattoo and Sanchez was good, then who cares? But since it's Rex, of course, it was going to be a situation where Sanchez was going to go belly up. Sal Losi tripping the Dolphins. He is never going to escape that for the rest of his life. And I guess in a way, it's kind of just as he probably shouldn't. It was really dirty, but I'll never forget watching that one. That was something else. The 81 wildcard loss to Buffalo. Oh, another deep cut, and we covered this on the program as well. But Richard Todd, who I just talked about showing so much guts and so much heart in that win over the Dolphins, in this particular game through five interceptions, the Jets almost made a comeback. In fact, in some ways, this was a lot like that game against Pittsburgh in the 2010 AFC Championship game where the Jets mounted a comeback, but it was too little too late, and in the end, it fell short. In the case of Richard Todd, it was him throwing one last interception. In the case yeah. of Mark Sanchez and the Jets, it was that first down that Ben Roethlisberger was able to get on that key third down. The West yeah. Side Stadium not getting built. Fireman Ed retiring. Oh, I don't even want to go into that. <laughs> and <laughs> Isaiah Crowell wiping his butt with the football. So, wow, you guys really did your homework on this. I'm really impressed. Great job, both of you. For anybody who hasn't had an opportunity to look at this bracket yet, I'd love you to go over and check it out. Guys, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Okay. Rob, I want you to tell everybody how they can get a hold of you and talk Jets with you and all that. And then, Joe, I want to bring you in to give your contact info as well. Job well done, gentlemen. Excellent work here. And I'd like to see both of you get a lot more follows and a lot more attention for this bracket. Appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, at, at Rob Pelé's one, um, you know, it'll, it'll be right on the article as well. Pin to the profile. Um, you know, it's, it's on the website, but or it's on uh, Twitter. Uh, but, but, you know, thank, thank you, Scott, for having us on. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I was talking to Joe and it, it's crazy that, you know, in a time like this, we could both be in the state of such ultimate boredom. And it feels like life is at such a pause right now that having fun for us is digging up the most painful moments from our sports memories from our favorite team and but it just goes to show i you know i think we both needed this and i think a lot of people need this right now when everything's at a standstill so um it was a pleasure doing it and thanks again for having us on yeah again i could echo that as well scott thank you so much i mean it's been great talking jets uh always great i mean i was with jets insider with chris nimbley actually uh for a while and i know we had a good time with that as well 
Uh, you can follow me at 28JoeBarone on Twitter. Uh, just anytime, do you want to talk Jets or anything really? Uh, I could, you know, relate with you guys. And it's, it's just good. I mean, I was telling Rob this, I was telling you, Scott, before. This is the time now where, you know, we could all really come together. And, and as I said earlier, with the people coming out after me saying, oh, this is stupid, this and that. All right, well, you could think that. But for the large majority of people, this was a chance to kind of just sit back and laugh while you're scrolling through Twitter, when you're quarantined, when you're doing that. You know, stay, stay home, be safe, and uh, yes. be, with, be with your loved ones during this time. Because we don't know what's going to happen immediately, but uh, it's good right now to just kind of – decompress a little bit and just laugh a little bit, you know? Make sure that you're following both Rob and Joe on Twitter and get the bracket and vote. I want you guys to yes. vote so that we can really Please. get this thing going. I think I'm going to fill out my bracket sometime later tonight, and I'm going to send it over. So really glad Thank that you. you guys did this because, as you said, we could all use the laugh right now. Make sure you're following both of these guys. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.